let's see if I can muster what amounts to really a conversation with myself before we uh, bring in today's guest, who I could have asked for a visit a long, long time ago, but um, I figure he's super busy, and I don't have the really, really important questions, so we waited till now. And we'll have a new, new new-ish UT Athletic Director, Brian Blair, on in just a bit here after the monologue, which is, again, me talking to myself. And I say I'm going to try to do it because I did not sleep well last night. Uh, I I was up at uh, 1.33. I went to bed. I don't know when I fell asleep. Fell asleep around 10.30. Was up around 1.33, then woke up for good at 4.48. I don't know if you're like me, but when you check your clock, I can't. I can't help myself to see how much time I have left, left to sleep. Um, we remember the exact minute. If if I had the seconds up, I'd remember those too. And then I finally get out of bed. I reset my alarm for six thirty. Didn't have another wink of sleep from four forty eight till six oh five. Got out of bed. But this is doubly bad because I have been dealing with uh, the lethargy. Uh, lethargy has hit me since I have been back on Cymbalta for two weeks. Good. Good news. Um. It has relieved me of the strains and and pulls that I wanted gone, but with its return, um, with that elixir, I've got a I've got some lethargy that I'm literally like in a fog right now. Um, it it, I, it may be as bad as it was a couple years ago, and I had no idea that this embalming was causing that. I thought I was just getting older. Anyway, um, we'll get to Brian uh, Brian Blair shortly. First things first. It it varies from state to state. There have been all kinds of bills introduced in the last handful of years. But in a bunch of places, there's a really big fine. I don't know how you'd get a kid to pay that. I'm guessing it's mostly kids. But in some places, it's also a felony. And it looks like there's up to 10 years of prison time for it. So far as I've heard, and I'd like to know, I want to know, and I haven't read many of them have been caught, but the swatter from Ottawa Hills on Friday has not been caught. And I guess this is a question for local authorities. Um, why haven't many of, the, many of these been caught? I cannot imagine that they are criminal masterminds buried within gangs. All the things we talked about on Fridays. On Friday. Um, we, we, maybe I'm buying too much into the tech that the TV shows and things we stream um, all the things they use to catch people. I would think some of that or all that is available to um, local authorities here in a city the size of Toledo to catch these people causing pure terror. Um, so I'd like to see that. Next up, there I had lunch with a friend last week and she told me about an article that was coming out on Sunday in The Blade uh, by a Nancy Gagnette. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Nancy um, did a story about how many of the people in the mayor's administration in Toledo don't live in Toledo. Uh, Today, there was an editorial by The Blade, which basically said, let people live where they want. Um, There is no, there's no, there's actually a state law, I believe, that says the city can't force people to live within a municipality. Here's why I'm pretty much okay with this. Um, optically, it's not a great look, especially when you're talking about, I think, um, safety director and some other high-level officials. And that's uh, uh, Brian Bird, I think. Uh, some high-level officials. And I think also it said half of the TPD patrol force 
Uh, they don't live in Toledo. Again, bad optically, but I think of here where we live. Um, and I can go back to something that I think most of us agree on. You really can get anywhere in Toledo, in this area, in 20 minutes, right? Um, you can't do that in Detroit. You can't do that back east with all the traffic. You can get anywhere here in 20 minutes. Um, I live I live in Toledo, but I do a lot of shopping like a block away where I do a lot of purchases. A block, the, the gym I go to, I think, is actually in Springfield. Everything here is so close together. So I would guess even if you were someone who um, had a, a municipal Toledo job, you probably don't live that far away unless you're just somebody who wants to be completely away from the city and you live out in some rural area and you are good for a 45-minute ride every day. But I'm guessing most of these people um, that were name-checked or brought up in these pieces probably don't live very far outside of Toledo. Um, the other thing, and they are here enough. Like, look at me. I, I live on the border. I could say that I live in Springfield. I'm literally like hundreds of yards from living outside of Toledo. I think I have a pretty good grasp of what's going on here. Yeah. Um, granted, it is my job to know what's going on. But these people that we're talking about in this article within the mayor's administration are are the news. They are the people making stories. Not Not bad or good, but they're the ones that they know the happenings of city government. Again, even if you're living in Sylvania, you're possibly 10 minutes away from getting to work. It's not like in a bigger city where if you work, if you are a, a municipal Detroit employee, you live way out in Wixom or somewhere else that's going to take you 45 minutes to get to. And the majority of your time is spent in those suburbs. Again, me that lives somewhere on the border of Toledo, Springfield, and even Holland. Um, I get around everywhere. And I'm sure these people do as well. I, I think that living in Toledo would not give them that much more knowledge to what's going on than where they live now. Um, one more thing with all of this, it, the timing of the article is not great for me, and I wish this context was provided. And I'll tell you that even the person, this was one of the first things I thought of when it, what's been, um, when it comes to living, living, having a home, what's been a key part of that? What's been a big topic the last couple of years? And when my friend I had lunch with told me that she was one of the people um, and she does not live in the city. And she said, and she's not one of the high level people mentioned in, in the article. And there were no names mentioned. Um, what she told me is mostly what I thought of. Now, hers was a personal situation with a, a relationship. So you can certainly understand that. But what I thought of when my friend told me the article being written to kind of point the finger at city employees not living in the city. The last three years, the housing situation has been um, a, a, a disaster. Like many people over the last three years have had to make very challenging decisions about where they live, how they live. So I look back and go, this is not the time to, to be picking at where people do or don't live. Um, and this should come down to, are people doing a quality job in what they do? Let them live where they like. The The editorial, so basically the Blade editorial board of one of the Blades writers said, also threw this out there. 
make Toledo more appealing so more people want to live here. But my biggest point is you're so close to Toledo that even if you're in Sylvania, even if you're in Maumee, even if you're in Springfield, uh, Oregon, it's, it is even more so accurate. Like in Detroit, when I first lived there, people said they lived in Detroit. Even if you lived in Southfield or Farmington Hills or Oak Park or Redford, I live in and mostly out of town. People got that. Here, you're you're a Toledoan. Um, it's too hard to not know what's going on because this community, everybody knows each other's business. It is the smallest, medium-sized city I've ever lived in. So I got no problem, even if the optics come off looking bad, that city employees live outside of uh, Toledo. In fact, I mean, if you live in Sylvania too, you're going to pay more taxes anyway, right? The other thing to get to, you may have seen the phrase sober curious being a thing recently, um, a thing for some, I think some millennials and, and some Zoomers, Gen Z, which I don't know how much choice they have in the matter um, because many of them that age can't legally drink anyway. That doesn't mean that kids who are uh, uh, younger than 21 haven't tried alcohol. Raise your hand if you haven't. In fact, I hated beer the first time I tried it. I was like, why do people like this? It was disgusting. Um, Let people enjoy a sober, curious lifestyle, whether it's a dry January that continues. I know somebody pretty well on Facebook. I think she did a dry January two years ago and hasn't had a sip of alcohol since. I have decided to stop drinking alcohol during the week. I would have like a whiskey and a half or a couple of beers um, while I make dinner while I finish dinner and after dinner, but I just cut all that out to see if it would make me feeling, make me feel better, fresher in the morning. It has had a very marginal difference in my feeling and mood, which I have been tracking in a mood diary since July. It's just maybe removed some calories during the week, which uh, I may just be putting back on on the weekend. Um, I'm not necessarily for sober curious, but if you want to do mocktails, great. I look at it this way. Um, I I like the feeling of alcohol. And if I can simulate that, and if this were like the future, like uh, like like Star Trek, they have something called, I'm going to nerd out for a little bit here, but let me explain it and I'll pull it back to right now. Something that might be in your hand. On Star Trek, they have something called synthahol. If I'm not mistaken, it tastes just like alcohol. It gives you, it, without the really bad deleterious effects and some of the bad things that really come with it. I guess, um, you know, if we could have the perfect synthahol now, uh, no calories, uh, same good taste, no sugar, no hangovers, all that stuff. And we could achieve something like that, one, in a Star Trek type way. Um where I'm pointing out this this came from, that Star Trek in the 80s and 90s, they held these things that gave them information and they pushed buttons on them or they pushed the screen and all these things happened. And they didn't really have books. They had these screens, these pads, these tablets. We're on the cusp. I have no problem um, with fake meat. I think before long, we're all going to be eating fake meat. And this comes from somebody who eats a lot of chicken. Like Hugh Jackman a couple weeks ago when somebody asked how he put on all, all the weight for Wolverine over the years. He's like, I'm sorry, vegans. I've eaten a lot of chickens. I'm the same way. As long as it tastes the same and we can save some animals, absolutely. I'm a thousand percent in. Um, and before probably the end of the decade, you might not be able to tell the difference between real meat and 
fake meat. And maybe we can take even some of the really bad stuff out of it. The antibiotics, the chemicals, all that stuff. Um, we're not there yet with mocktails, so far as I know. Um, and if I am going to have the taste of a margarita, I want the buzz from it. Am I a totally responsible drinker? In the sense that I don't get behind the wheel, absolutely. In other ways, not necessarily. Um, but it's for some people. I am curious to open up this topic when we uh, when we get the group back together and why those are trying it. Look, no alcohol is certainly better than any alcohol. Um, and if you can go for this, if you want a alcohol-free Moscow Mule, an alcohol-free old-fashioned, go for it. Um, but I guess I'd rather just have water. <laughs> uh, if the taste is the same, fine. But if there's no buzz and there's no calories and no sugar, I'll just drink water. How about you? I'm actually surprised that Jim Harbaugh decided to stay with Michigan. Not that he doesn't love it, as he says, but because it is becoming harder and harder to be a college football head coach. Not with what's on the field, but just managing the fact that these college students now have an income or can get an income from outside the university, uh, from some people who might have um, ill intentions and, and, and evil players and could be luring kids to and from school. And if a kid is not happy with his playing time, um, he can throw a tantrum and subtly threaten to change schools. There's a lot more drama managing an already dramatic age group of kids with uh, with the money that's involved now. And I'm kind of surprised that he agreed to stick around for that. If he, and I didn't like that every year there was this little dance with whether he was in a Stay or go, stay or go. And that's everywhere. Look, there's sometimes there's just people like that. They can't stay at a job for a long period of time or in a relationship. Um, as long as you're upfront about that, fine. Um, and I think Michigan probably knew, even though he said this is his home and all the other good words. You know, Jim Harbaugh. Sometimes we just get bored easily, especially when we accomplish our challenges. And he has certainly brought Michigan back to a level the last couple of years they have not been at in arguably decades. They're ahead of Ohio State right now. Ryan Day's got to catch the, that Ohio State team up to get them back on par with Michigan, who will probably be the favorite for the Big Ten next year. Don't hold me to that. But um, a lot of a lot of college basketball coaches have stepped away from their job. Some very very successful ones, ones that are not of traditional retirement age. Um, and you go, wow, they've stepped away early, and it's because dealing with the drama uh, of the money coming from outside the program and luring these kids to and from. And again, a kid going, I don't like the way the coach thought, I don't like the way the coach was coaching me or something like that, something perceived in their head, and then they are out. They're off. They can just leave school and go play somewhere else. I'm all for the kids making money off of who and what they are, um, but to hold it against programs and coaches, I mean, the NCAA is, is a keystone cop. It has been a, a laughable entity for a long, long time trying to create structure and get things to abide by rules. And to put this in place without more guardrails or rules, you knew this was going to happen. And I feel bad for some coaches who really, really like what they do. But without the rules in place, 
and now kids being able to get paid and all the malicious players that it attracts to that, I can understand why coaches wanted to walk away. And again, that's why I'm surprised that Harbaugh stayed. And you know what? If a year from now, all that gets a lot worse and he's like, look, I love Michigan and another NFL team makes a phone call, maybe he'll be done with it at that point because I can't see any rules coming in place to squash what's gone on the last couple of years as college kids can make some money. Could get worse. And he could say, you know what? I tried. It's just less stress at the NFL. And you think you'd never say anything like that. Let's get to somebody I've waited a very long time to have a good discussion with. Um, Brian Blair, the new-ish athletic director of the University of Toledo. At long last, I was finally bold enough to uh, to bother your inbox and invite <laughs> uh, the new-ish UT athletic director, Brian, Brian Blair, to the podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Glad we get this on the books. Did I uh, did I let everybody else get to you before I came sniffing around? No, no, no. I, I still got an e- email inbox full of uh, requests and, and and meetings and those kind of things. It's, Toledo's got good size to it. And there's a lot of people here um, that are interested in Toledo and interested in our athletic department. So really, still making the rounds, those first round introductions, and getting to know everybody and um, trying to figure out okay where I fit in this grand puzzle. Has it been a year yet, or a little under a year? It was almost coming up on a year from when I was announced, but remember, I didn't start until May 1st because um, Mike O'Brien was still um, in the position until the end of April. Um, so there was a period where I was announced in February between that and the start of May where I was kind of quasi doing things, quasi involved. And really all that was was me working from coffee shops, taking Zooms and emails and sending staff questionnaires and the like to try to get a handle on what I was walking into. What coffee shop were you at most? Well, actually, I was a coffee shop in Pullman, Washington. Got it, um, got it, This got was it. while we were transitioning and moving from the house. Um, so it went from a coffee shop in Pullman, Washington to a coffee shop in Dayton, Ohio, when I was living with my in-laws uh, for about a month there while we were making the transition um, to then being full-time here um, in an apartment downtown for the first month and a half um, when I started um, before getting into our home. Uh, well, we're glad to have you here. I wouldn't have invited you. I wouldn't want to have the conversation if you weren't who you were on Instagram because uh, I, I've got so many questions to ask you about some of that stuff and how you make all this work. But I will first offer condolences that you had to leave your smoker. Was, did you leave it in Pullman? Uh, yeah, I, uh, this is a, this is a heartbreaker. I, I had to sell it um, before we left because you know you're going through the calculations of how much stuff weighs versus the cost of moving around the country X, Y, and Z. Um, and I just I talking to my wife, and it was just it, it was. Uh, heavy heavy smoker and the idea of putting that on loading trucks and paying the cost it was on cost i said hey i get a brand new one for a piece of what i'm gonna pay to ship it so we made the decision to part ways um kissed it goodbye cried a little bit as I was rolling down the driveway with the new owner <laughs> he was so happy to have found something like that um and then lo and behold I, I placed an order in last april for a new smoker so i'm getting regular updates via email it's supposed to be here any week now um, so really excited about that. It's being made down in Georgia and shipped up to me. Congratulations. Uh, and barbecue is an important part of your life, right? It is. It, I, I, I spent a lot of time, obviously I grew up in South Carolina. Um, I spent about seven and a half, eight years in Texas um, and then moving around. So I think you come to appreciate what is barbecue, how long it takes. For me, more than anything, I don't play golf very much. And so my mindfulness time, my me time is sitting out by the smoker, tending to the fire. Because when you're playing with fire, you can't really think about anything else. Like you, you need to make sure you're paying attention to yeah. what you're doing. And so for that, my, my kids and wife, they kind of step aside. They don't want to be bothered with the smoke. So that's my me time. Um, and I get to really concentrate on what I'm doing, but also free my mind of all the stresses and the constant thinking. That I'm Are you doing. concerned that you're not going to be able to recreate some of the magic you made on the old one to, on the new one? No, I, I put a lot of time and effort into this thought process. So the smoker <laughs> I'm getting is being made for me. 
Um, it's made out of three eighth inch steel. It's offset. It's got a fold down stack. It pulls behind my truck. I mean, it's an upgrade in so many ways uh, from the last smoker I had. So I'm really excited about getting it here. Um, and so if you smell uh, some great smells coming out of Mommy, um, know that my smoker has arrived. If, if for whatever reason UT doesn't work out, I mean, as you've seen, you could probably make yourself a heck of a food truck. <laughs> so if, funny enough, my uh, my brother and my dad actually run a food truck down to South Carolina um, based on some of my grandma's recipes. And they have a restaurant. They do really well. Um, now, I'm not sure I want the hours that they operate, uh, yeah. on weekends, nights, and everything else. But you could argue that's not too much different than being an AD. Um, so maybe that will be my life after being an AD. Uh, what what brought you here? You family connection, but uh, we could talk about your, your wife and, and relatives here. But what, what appealed to you about the University of Toledo? If anybody had read up on you a little bit, you were you were a rising star. Um, what made you pick Toledo? Yeah, I, well, I, I got the call from the search firm. And I think, obviously, you flattered anytime somebody shows an interest. But I think... For me, it came down to personal and professional fit. Um, as you alluded to, my wife and family are two hours down the way in Dayton. Um, so that made a lot of sense for us to move and two young kids and for them to be closer um, to grandparents and in-laws and all those kind of pieces. But professionally, this has always been one of the jobs that I said, you know what, if I was going to leave my number two spot um, that I was at, in the Pac-12, here's a spot I would look at. And Toledo is known, with at least within athletic director circles, as one of the best jobs, not only in the MAC, in the country. Um, and also people know say it and they say, hey, they've got a ton more potential too. And so that's what really sparked my interest of one, you're walking into a really great situation. They've done things so well for so long, but then two, you can be a part of helping it grow and increase its presence. And so that's what I'm excited about today. And I wake up every morning excited to go to work. What time do you wake up? 4.30. You have, uh, if you people do follow your Instagram, they would think that there's four of you. There's <laughs> several other people in the city who I would accuse that they've also cloned people. But yeah. how do you manage your day other than getting up very early? How do yeah. you keep it? What's your best time management advice for somebody? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm the expert just yet. I think something I've tried to get better at over the years, I get up at 430 because my kids usually get up around 7, 730. So if I want some me time, if I want some time to think and really clear my mind, whether it's walking on the treadmill or just grabbing a cup of coffee, that's my time. And so to think through, okay, Here's what's coming down the pike for the day. Big picture. Here's what I need to be thinking about. What do I need to accomplish by the end of the day? Because um, once you walk into the office, it's constant email, text, phone call, go, 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 go. And you look up and say, what did I do today? And so I think starting off the day really intentionally, at least to hear one or two things I have to get done by the end of the day, big picture. Yeah. And then I can get into the details along the way. But to me, it, I've got a really good teammate in Rebecca um, in our office who's by my side, helps with a scheduling standpoint. Um, I, I'd be lying to you if I said these first seven months weren't hard because um, you got a lot of people reaching out and want to get in touch with you. And it's not my nature to tell people, no, we're, no, we're not right now. But I've had to do more of that as I try to bake in time, focusing on the job, but also the introductions and the relationships that will serve me well here in the future. What's something that surprised you when you got here? It was better than you expected or it wasn't part of the tour, the interview, and you're like, wow, this, this is really great. Yeah, I tell people all the time. I mean, I, I bought my house via FaceTime. And you didn't know what you were going to walk <laughs> That's into. That's very modern. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I walked in, and the house was better than I thought it would be based on the FaceTime. And that's what I thought about this athletic department. This athletic department in this city are better than I thought they would be from the outside, from a quick Google. Um, I think if you had to nail me down on one thing, I think an academic performance of our student-athletes is far better than I imagined it would be walking in to the situation. And I think 
um, it's twofold. And one, we've got a great academic services department um, and great faculty and professors and the like that pour in our student athletes. But two, our coaches here are more heavy handed in academics than anywhere I've ever been in terms of not going overboard. They're not doing work for kids or anything like that, but they constantly ask and check in and keep tabs on who's doing what. And you don't see that a lot of places, especially at a power five level. You have academic staff and the coaches say, hey, academics are your deal. Academic advisor. I'm focused on basketball, football, golf, whatever it may be here. Our coaches focus on winning. but They also focus on where you at with your grades. Are you pursuing your degree? Are you getting the work done in the classroom? I think that's created a unique culture and a unique mix that I'm determined not to lose sight of. And the coaches are a really important part of the community, here, especially the basketball coaches. Um, I always wanted to ask you. Uh, it's a changing landscape, mostly yeah. at college football. Something I've looked at for years now, and it's still changing. We're counting playoff teams. and What what happens if UT or other schools in the MAC lose some of those payday games? Like, what funds the athletic department in that way? Because when UT went to Ohio State, it was, a, it was a, the opposite of the excitement that they, they were really competitive against Notre Dame last year. Mm-hmm. This was a letdown. It's a good payday. The football programs keep a lot of the, uh, a lot of the athletics alive. What happens if those go away? Yeah, I mean, I think for a school like us, we we typically play one of those a year. And if they're a guarantee game or a buy game, as you call them, you're talking anywhere between a mil to two mil, somewhere usually one and a half right now. Um, that that's a big portion of our budget. I mean, if we've got a budget that's between 32, 33 mil, one and a half is not nothing, right? It, yeah. it, it matters. Um, I do think we're in a better situation than some of our colleagues who scheduled two, three of those games just to fund the basics of the athletic department budget and still don't have the budget that we have. Sure. Um, but obviously a big piece of the equation. And yeah, you want to be competitive in those games. Um, and I, I think looking forward, we've got games with Illinois, with Maryland, with Kentucky, with Michigan State um, that, again, as I talk to Coach Candle and the like, I mean, we say, hey, how can we be competitive in this games? What do we need to do? What stretches do we need to make? Um, but those guarantee games are big deals. I do think the expansion of the playoff maybe offered a little security, mm-hmm. um, whereas it felt like we were hurtling towards these mega conferences. Yeah. And I think when you expand to 12, and now I'm hearing even talk of what would 16 look like, um, then I think people settle down a little bit and say, you know what, as long as we focus on winning our conference, yeah. then we're going to be all right. We don't need to be in this expanded SEC Big Ten only world. Yeah, but if it was only like eight teams, or we'll see what happens with 12, you've got to and, and strength of schedule matters playing a MAC team and maybe not playing well versus a power team. It's a big deal. I mean, it can mean millions for some of these schools who want to get into the playoff and see how far the program goes. Yeah. I think the one thing that helps us out is all those teams all want the same thing is to get as many home games as possible. And if you, if you look at that ratio, there's just not enough power top five teams willing to go on the road to yeah. some of these other locales. And so while we have a willingness to go on the road, I think that's where we, we, we feel a void and a need that's created. I think the hard part and the challenging part, my predecessor did a really good job of getting a lot of really great teams into the glass bowl. And what you're seeing with the change in the playoff and with the finances behind it, teams are less willing to go on the road to a Toledo or to a similar group of five team. Um, so that's going to be more challenging. But I think the need for guarantee games against MAC type opponents, I think and I hope it always exists. Especially good ones like Toledo. Yeah. Um, uh, we talked about something that uh, you were surprised by coming in here. One of the things I think you want to improve, I read the other day, and I want to come back to where I read that, and maybe you can lead us into it. You want to improve the fan experience for some of the games? Yeah. Uh, fans are so critical of what we do. And, I mean, they're they're important to the student-athlete experience. 
your student athlete experience isn't only academics um, or what you have on campus and get to play a sport. It's also part of it is playing in front of a supportive environment. Um, we've got some transfers from some other schools. I won't name those schools, but if you talk to the transfers of why they're here, a big piece of it is our fan environment. When you look at Trisha and what we do in women's basketball and the amount of fans we have in the stands, there's a lot of other programs, not only in the MAC and the Power Five, that you go to and say, wow, our fan experience is better here. So when I'm a young lady and I'm playing on the court, I want to see people in the stands. I don't want to play in an arena where I hear my coach echoing from the other end of the bench. Uh, when I went on the road with um, women's basketball and we watched them play Michigan and we beat a top 15 team, yeah. um, you would have been confused. I know I was standing at the top of the arena, which side was the home side, which side was the way, because our colors are so similar. And I, I initially mistaked our side for the home side because there were more people over there. Yeah. But that's how we travel. That's how we um, support that fan base. Girls notice. Young ladies notice. Young men notice in our men's sports. Uh, you want to play in front of a support environment. You want to feel like what you do matters. Um, and I think our fans are a big piece of that. So we've got to think outside the box in terms of why would you get off your couch and come to one of our venues, pay good money, sit out in the cold, whatever it may be, to watch our teams participate? I know a lot of universities have asked this because if you look at like a Tennessee game in September, that stadium is not as full as it used to be because like everybody else, we're fighting with our phones to bring people and get their attention. Um, so would you have a game at the baseball stadium? I think we're going to think outside the box on so many things. I think, I mean, that, that idea has been presented to me a number of different times. Um, I think there's a lot of logistical questions you have to ask. Yeah. And also, I mean, when we take a game from campus, a big piece of what we do and why we exist is our students at the University of Toledo. So we got to make sure whatever we do doesn't do a disservice to them um, and what it means to them. Um, but I, I think right now I'm not taking anything off the table. Um, everything's up for discussion. What about uh, in the stadium uh, that maybe – uh, you'd like to increase that fan experience, no matter how small it might be. Yeah, I mean, to me, I always want us to have as many options as possible. So if you're a fan um, at a, a, you want to sit in the lower bowl, what kind of options from a seating standpoint do you have? If you want to sit in the suites or the loge or the club or you're a student, do I give you all the options you may want? Okay, you may be that person that charts each play as they come out, and you want to sit in there and focus on the game. Then I got a fan next to you that doesn't care about the game, that wants to stand next to all their buddies and doesn't want to have to scream across four people. They want to be able to mingle in a section. We've got another fan boost that that rather be in a suite. Others want to be in the club, whatever. So we need to have a menu of options for everybody to hit everybody at their price point and their interest to make sure the game meets their needs. But as you pointed out earlier, I mean, TV giveth and the TV taketh away. Yeah. Um, you can sit on your couch and watch just about all of our games, plus everything going on nationally. And then obviously your phone, you want that connectivity. Uh, so how do we accommodate everything that you can get at home, but also create a, a fear of missing out in our stadiums? You say, hey, if I wasn't at the Toledo game, I would have not gotten that experience. And I want each one of our aspects of our game day experience to be a standalone attraction. So from the national anthem, I want you to say, wow, I would come to a Toledo football basketball game just for the national anthem. From the hot dog, wow, I would come to Toledo football basketball game just for the hot dog and so on and so forth. All the way down the list, the band, cheer, seating, all those different pieces. So at the end of the day, the outcome of the game is almost an afterthought. Yeah. Right? That's the cherry on yeah. top to a great fan experience. That's like minor league baseball. I mean, the game is maybe fifth on the list of things to do. Yeah. Uh, we always get kind of screwed when midweek action hits. It's never nice. Like, I'm reading forecasts for Tuesday night games at the Glass Bowl, and it's always 38 and chilly. Maybe one of these years, maybe you brought some warmer weather for us <laughs> next year. Uh, what is... We forget about this sometimes. 
What's a, a sport outside of Coach Kolov's team, Coach Kowalczyk, the football team, that you've caught your eye on? Maybe you've kind of made a little spot in your heart for that that's really impressed you. Yeah, you're going to get me in a whole lot of trouble. Good. Because that's like uh, saying which one of my kids is my favorite. Yeah, I may have the favorite in the back of my head, but the world will never know. <laughs> who's, who's most? Who's well-behaving right now then? I'll say this one just because she just left my office, and that's the only reason, coaches, I'm saying this, um, is Andrea on our, on our women's track and field and cross-country team. Uh, for them to win consecutive MAC championships and build what she's built here um, with, frankly, I mean, limited resources relative to budget, relative to stadium or those kind of things. I mean, it's just flat out remarkable. And she's a big dreamer from the moment I first met her. Um, she didn't talk about just winning MAC championships. She said, what are we going to do nationally? And she was visibly upset after having to not finish top 20 at nationals when everybody else is patting her on the back for finishing top 25. I mean, that's the kind of competitor she is where she's not happy with status quo. She wants to push and dream bigger. And she's somebody that every time I talk to her, I leave even more inspired. Um, it's a reminder to me, I have a sign above my desk that says dream big. Um, and I think when you hit adversity or you have hard times, it has this, uh, you hit this notion of kind of lowering your sights. Well, maybe maybe it's not that important that I hit here. I can aim a little bit lower. And I think she's somebody that always wants to dream big and push. Um, and somebody that inspires me on a daily basis. What's the the chatter like, the the hallway talk of just getting Coach quality Coach all. Coach Kowalczyk's team to the tournament. <laughs> so close last year. They had yeah. not been in the tournament in longer than you and I have been alive. Yeah. And it seemed like it was going to happen last year, and it just got away from it. And I'm not saying pressure or anything like that. Just, like, what's the chatter like about it? Yeah, I think it's – I mean, it's always the elephant in the room, right? Everybody yeah. knows it. Everybody talks about it. I, I guess, to me, I don't shy away from those kind of conversations. Yes, we want to make the NCAA tournament for a whole lot of reasons. But I think when you talk about serving a university, the notoriety that comes with filling out a bracket and having Toledo on that and what they could do for the city and, like – I think we all get it, right? Yeah. And I think there's no need to bemoan it. I'd rather focus on our process to get there um, and what we're trying to do to be the most consistent, dominant team in the MAC year in, year out. And I think there's things we do there from how we feed our kids to how we travel to how we dress, equipment, how we recruit. All those pieces feed into that overall equation. So my, my point on this is, okay, how do I provide the foundation for all of our programs to be successful at the highest levels within the MAC? And then there's going to be a handful of those where you're just bound and determined you're going to have one of those moments where you get over the hump. And as much as bad luck as I've heard we've had yeah. historically, we we'll probably do at some point to have some good the pro- luck. The program, yeah. everything you just said, the boxes seemingly are all checked, and it's just a bad break here, or there in the in the MAC tournament every year. Yeah, I'm confident in he and Trisha though that we're gonna get there. I mean, it's, it's a matter of time, and they do things at a high level, and they don't trade good kids and good grades for wins. They do it all and do it all at a high level. Um, so I, I believe we're consistent in our process and we continue to refine and learn. Um, okay, well, if we don't go to the MAC championship like last year, what did we learn from those early games and those early exits and how do we get better from that? I think one thing that both of them did this year is we stepped up the schedule big time. And I think you saw early season competition that a lot of coaches shy away from just because they want to get wins on the resume. Yeah. I think you saw both coaches step up scheduling and we'll look at this year and whether we make the tournament or not. Take a step back. What do we do? What do we do right? What can we improve on? Apply that same approach. Just keep getting better year after year. Last spring, uh, no, late last winter, as things were ramping up and 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 the Rockets looked really good. I'm like, this is the year. This is the year they break that streak. It didn't happen, but I was trying to build some excitement because I envisioned. Do you, did you go to any playoff wall games? 
I did. I it's did. I went nuts, too. isn't it? Yeah. It's like an NHL city. Yeah. I envisioned a, a portion of that if the Rockets had made the tournament, whether they were a 15 seed or whatever. It's the one thing athletically that I have not experienced in my time here because they obviously haven't made it. But I am excited to see what happens to this city when everybody finds out that the Rockets are in the tournament the first time in 40 years. Yeah. I've told our staff from the moment I got on campus, I envisioned this year being one of, if not the greatest years in Toledo athletics history. And I think based on this fall, we're, we're ahead of schedule. Um, when you look at our Learfield Cup standings and the like, it's the best we've ever had um, in terms of some of those sports. And so you, you say, okay, what happens if? My concern is always what happens? Are we ready to capitalize on that? that that's been my thing from the start is I'm new here and I'm trying to get some things in works that some can be short-term, some are going to be long-term, things we get turned around. But are we ready for success? Because I think you look across the landscape and so many athletic departments have a tournament run or have whatever happened to them, and they're not ready internally yeah. to maximize that success. Are we ready internally to maximize that success and make sure we turn that moment into a movement? And that's really big for me that we don't let that happen. It's fleeting, and then it disappears, and then we're talking the next 20 years between times it happens. How do we make sure we can't we mobilize whatever happens in that moment and turn it into a movement to help us make us better overall. I would say that when that moment happens, and maybe both teams get to the tournament or whatever it is, the baseball team goes on a run. We're ready for it because as you've alluded to a bunch, and I've seen, I mean, the reason we, we have our coaches here, they're a part of the community. They build great student athletes, and we really mean that. The stability is there within the athletic program. So when that nine seed hits and they win a game in the tournament and go on a little bit of a run, hopefully that success can be sustained. Yeah, I, I think the community is hungry for it. Yeah. I think we all want it. And I think when it happens, don't be surprised that I'm coming behind that championship trophy asking for money um, and asking for sponsorships and the like because that investment will be needed to maintain our coaching staffs but also take our programs to continually to the next step. And that's really what I mean um, by being ready for that success. Are we made internally to maximize our brand exposure, to maximize our revenue streams, to, to get more money in the department, to continue to double down on things we do great um, and take them to the next level? We talked about how you want to get fans and give them a better experience of the game. Um What's different, especially over the last three years as we move a little bit farther away from the pandemic, what's different at universities and higher education from top to bottom, the entire universal experience from your perspective, from when you got into this to now? Yeah, I think the prevalence of online options um, is something that's very, very new. Um, I think with that, you've got people saying, OK, is the residential college experience what worth what it used to be? I think when I was coming up, it, it was a preconceived notion. Hey, you're going to college. You're going yeah. away. You're living in a dorm room. You're, you're eating dorm room food or cafeteria food, and you're going to get that experience. I think nowadays students have many options, right? You can go to a two-year and transfer. You can go online and work. You can go online and do nothing. Um, there's a lot of different options. So I, I think the options are, are far greater than they used to be. And so universities, which have followed a, a, a certain blueprint for so many years, are trying to adapt right now to this modern student. And then what do these occupations look like, right? Social media influencer wasn't an occupation sure. 10 years ago. Now you ask a lot of our student athletes, they want to do something online or virtual yeah. or be that influencer type personality. Well, how do we prepare them for that? And you can't use the same way you prepared for a traditional business degree or traditional marketing degree to build into that social media influencer. So I think higher ed's undergoing a revamp, just like college athletics is, yeah. to try to market to the consumer, which is the student. And I'm sure you see it as an opportunity as well, because when there are changing times, we can take more risks. Yeah. I mean, to me, the change is always opportunity. That's the only mm -hmm. way to look at it. If you look at it as if, oh, my God, I want to scratch my head. I want to complain and just sit around and complain about it. 
that doesn't get you any better. And actually, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Um, so we've got to look at each one of these changes as an opportunity to get better. The hard part is how do we figure out the strategy to get better within the changing landscape? And how do we all come to agreement on it? Because this change is new for everybody. And I think everybody's struggling with some of the things going on. How do we get all on the same page around what the future could look like for us that better serves the, the University of Toledo? What's the best barbecue you've ever had? Oh, man. This is like the earlier question. These are the tough questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, Ever. Family recipes? It'd have to be in Texas uh, from a restaurant standpoint. I won't go into family because I I need to go to my next family reunion. Fair enough. Um, It it, it would have to be in Texas. Um, Killens is really good up there. Um, Killens Barbecue, Pearland, Texas, right outside of Houston. Um, Some of the best barbecue I've had. But Texas barbecue, for a South Carolina guy used to growing up on pig and pork, um, brisket and beef ribs stole my heart um, while I was there. And that's probably my favorite thing to cook right now is brisket. Maybe we can do a Brian Blair section, the smoker at the stadium. Not the food truck, but just like we'll dip our toe in the water. Yeah. So I, so I, 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 the smoker I bought, I bought with the idea, too, that I could pull behind my truck and maybe do a department tailgate or department happy hour. Not happy hour. Um, um, lunch or picnic or something like that for the student-athletes. So there may be that in the future in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they kick off the first game of the season or something yeah. like that. Why have hot dogs when we get your barbecue? <laughs> All right, now the really tough question. What's the best barbecue you've had here? Oh, man. Golly. Uh, they're all great. <laughs> That's such a crappy answer. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to stick with they're all great because we, we've got a, some all really right. good sponsors there. Um, how about how about pizza? You like? Have you found a pizza spot here? Are you a pizza guy or is it just barbecue and... I do. I, I, I do like pizza and uh, Stubborn Brother does a remarkable job yeah. and, uh, and we host a lot of shows. I eat there a lot. I think the other one I really, really like and I'm blanking on the name right now. Ali. Um it's okay. We'll I'm blanking on the name, but it's a very tomato-based sauce, but they got extraordinary wings, too. And there's one out in Pearland. There's a location, but there's a location downtown. Uh, a Gino. Gino. We have a lot of Genos. I think it's Genos, the, yeah. The, a kind of a neat thing here that I had found out early on was Genos, Vito's, Marcos. They're chains, but they're local chains, so we don't have to necessarily do some of the, the more national places. Yeah. Um, what was the last thing? Oh, we're... Roughly the same age. What was your favorite cartoon as a kid? <laughs> favorite cartoon. I mean, I, I was big into like Doug and the Rugrats, but that was probably a little bit older. Um, Doug Funny was like one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Um, I, I watched obviously the Looney Tunes and all those kind of things. I have to go with Doug though. Doug okay. um, and Cut Skeeter and all that crew in there it was it was a really good one. You can't say Metro Parks. You can't say Imagination Station. You can't say, say Zoo. What little nook have you found in the area that's maybe quite off the beaten path in those places that you either enjoy with yourself, your wife, or the whole family? I'd have to say the fishing opportunities locally. Um, I'm a big fisherman. I'm a big outdoorsman. I love hunting and fishing. But what I was able to do over the last couple of years is convert my daughter into a fisherman. So what that allows me to do is leave the house. Because if I say to my wife, hey, I know I've been going all week, but here are the kids. I'm going for two hours going fishing. That'll get a whole lot of frowns. But if I take my daughter with me, this is a change of equation because it's daddy-daughter time. Uh, so if I can go to Lake Erie or I can go even the Metro Parks, some of the ponds and lakes and take her out with her Moana fishing reel um, and put a worm on and toss a pole in, um, that's my happy place. Then eventually it'll be on the smoker. There you go. (laughs) Thanks for all the time. It was great. I enjoyed this. Thank you for having me.